Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. Well, a pleasant good afternoon and early evening to everybody. Uh, welcome to the Water Zone. I'm Rob Starr, along with Mr. Chris Davey, and we welcome you to the show today. Chris, Mr. Davey, how are you doing? Pleasure, man. Good to be back behind the mic. As you, uh, as you know, and our listeners probably know, I've been gone a, a couple of shows, um, helping my daughter move from Florida to Arizona, so uh, that's going like a move usually goes, and you, you want as seldom to do that as seldom as possible, but it's nice to be in the same state as you, Rob. Oh, we are, and it was great to have dinner with you last night, and that was that was awesome, and uh, so it's good to, good to see you. I'll be back in the office uh, next week, as you will be, uh, back in California for a while, and uh, we'll get some That's stuff right. done, but... Uh, Hey, you know, you know, uh, we got a great show tonight. We have Miss Chris Austin going to come on in a minute, and uh, we also have a uh, the CEO of the irrigation industry uh, will be on the show as our featured guest. Uh, just to remind some of the listeners who do follow the Irrigation Association, uh, just to let you know, the 2021 Irrigation Show and Education Week kicks off in San Diego, California, on December 6th. Attendees will have a week-long access to invaluable education content, networking. And exhibit hall, and they know and love from years in the past. Uh, it's it's a great time. They get to meet a lot of people. Got get to see a lot of new technology. So it's a it's a good thing. Anybody who does want to go, uh, you can go to irrigationshow.org. That's irrigationshow.org before November first, and secure the early bird rate. I do I do not personally know what that is, um, only because our company pays for Chris and I to go. We never get involved in that portion of it. They just they just pay it, and we give us the badges, and we go. So. Uh, but please check it out. It's a good thing to do. I uh, want to welcome now the purveyor of Maven's Notebook, Miss Chris Austin. Chris, welcome. And she's she's still in Malahashi. She's in Northern California, or, or maybe I should call it Central California. Oh, no. Definitely Northern California up here. Chico, okay. the beautiful small hamlet of Chico, California. Oh. Yes, and and I just finished moving, uh, and like, yeah, I I'm with you there, Chris Davy. Um, I've declared that I, this is that's the last move I will ever make. I will die in this house here in Chico. <laughs> <laughs> I've announced that with we are we're all on board. Anyways, uh, boy, has it been a week in California water? As always, there's yep. just so yep. much. So much going on. It's hard to keep track of it all on so many fronts. But uh, I think one thing that happened yesterday uh, is that uh, the, there was a bill in the California State Assembly to repair some major uh, irrigation canals uh, that have had some problems due to land subsidence. One of those is uh, the Fryant-Kern Canal, but also the state-owned California Aqueduct also has subsidence problems, but uh, the state's not quite as far along on those aqueduct repairs as the Fryant-Kern is. And so the bill had proposed some funding 
to help pay for those repairs. And the Fry and Kern Canal repairs, have, they have funding coming from a number of sources. Uh, the Bureau of Reclamation, I believe, is providing some funds. And the irrigation districts that, you know, are would benefit from this, that, that have the money, have also put in some money as well. And they were hoping for some money for the state, but that all sort of collapsed. And the big, the big hitching point is uh, that people have a problem. You know, we, we like to think in California water, you know, this principle of beneficiary pays. And I think that there is a contingent of people who see that the farmers that would benefit from, you know, repairing this canal are also the ones that cause the problems because they pump the groundwater. And it is, it is like sort of true, yes, uh, farmers did, you know, pump groundwater and that caused subsidence, but that's not necessarily all of those farmers. And it's, you know, there's a lot of impacts from farming in the Central Valley but there's been farming in the Central Valley for 150 years, okay? So the problems that we have in a lot of cases are legacy problems. So the farmer in the field is not necessarily the farmer that caused the problem. Um, and it's really hard, I think, for it's going to be really difficult to really identify in a in a way that can't be that that can survive a legal challenge that you know certain farmers need to help pay for this canal repair i mean it's it's just the problem is widespread it has a lot of history to it uh but nonetheless uh they they managed to you know the the bill was in committee and they took all the funding out of it and they they also added a lot of bureaucratic challenges to to get the funding that wasn't there. So, so in essence, in essence, they gutted the bill, and that's the end of and that's the end of that. Now, she's going to try the uh, Senator Melissa Hurtado of the of the Central Valley is going to try and bring this bill back as a two year bill, meaning that they'll take it up again next year, um, but. A lot remains to be seen. Uh, these are key, key irrigation canals, and getting them repaired is, is actually really important, especially in a dry year like this, you know, to be able to have the capacity to move water when, when we have it. Um, but it is, and, and while repairs are going forward, I don't think they have uh, got all the funding in place. So we'll see what happens. She'll return next year to try again. Is this both state and federal funding, Chris, or just all coming? Oh, this was just dollars? state. The the yeah. feds the feds I have put up some money already, I believe, and and the irrigation district, the the main ones, uh have also I think entered into some sort of agreement and they have brought some of the local agencies on board with that. But it's not the full cost of the repairs. It's they're very. It's very expensive to repair these large 
irrigation canals. It's really into the millions, sometimes, you know, a billion even in some cases, depending on how bad it is. So, you know, it's not cheap. Uh, and they need a lot of help. And, uh, and there's a lot of, a lot of real need to get these, these canals fixed because they benefit a lot of people, especially in this era where we're trying to balance depleted groundwater basins, uh, moving water around the state when it's available and getting it down to these, you know, groundwater agencies that desperately want the water so they can recharge their basins. I mean, it's very important and it's, it's critical, you know, to for some of these uh, agencies to survive. So getting these canals fixed is important, but it doesn't look like the state is going to be uh, contributing to this effort, at least at this time. We'll see what happens next year. A question, a question for both of you, and, I'll, I'll, and, and, and I'm trying not to be political in any of this, but, you know, we all hear about the... <clears throat> the bills that they're trying to pass in the federal government, and especially for infrastructure. And I'm all in favor of fixing infrastructure to, to this country. And, you know, whether it's roads or bridges or water, you know, some of the seriousness of that because we need it for food and everything else for the water. Um, do you, and, and maybe I'm wrong in this, but I, I had heard that out of that total bill proposed of, of 3.5 trillion only i don't know if it's nine or 19 percent of it is only going for real infrastructure is that is that a true truism have you have you heard well, that what what do you what do you define as real infrastructure well like i said ro- roads and bridges and and, and uh, water infrastructure the electric utility uh, grids and things like that not not talking about child care and all these other things that that they everybody tries to put into these bills, but I only heard there's you know a small portion of that dedicated to true infrastructure. Even though now everybody's, from what I what I hear, is is trying to define everything as infrastructure. You know we uh, you know uh, a school for uh, school for kids, uh, childcare, uh, you know all these kind of all all these other kind of things in there, and I I don't know how much the states really push. To get more money, I, I always I always think of things maybe because I'm kind of a simple person that that you take the top priorities and and you make an order of you know one through whatever one through five one through ten and and those are what you concentrate to get fixed first or that or that you know get completed. And I, I I know there's ten million problems that we have here in the country, but you can't fix everything all of the time at one time because there's not enough money for it. But I, I, I think priority. I think priorities should be set. But that—that's just my. I was just wanting to get your opinion on on that because you're right. They need to fix the canal. Well, to do that. So what do we do? Yeah. Well, since you since you posed the question to both of us, Rob, you know, if you're talking about the Biden plan, right? That the infrastructure yeah. plan. Yeah. You know, whatever whatever that portion of that is is uh, is around two point two and a quarter trillion, two point two five trillion infrastructure spending only, right? Yeah. Um, but but yeah, the you know the biggest uh, chunk of that is on as you say social in- infrastructure, right? So affordable yeah. housing, public schools, uh, yeah. workforce development programs, community colleges, childcare, housing, hospitals, uh, elderly care. 
disabled veterans, you know, all that stuff falls under falls under um, the social infrastructure, and and that's about uh, up to 2.25 trillion. That's about one trillion of it right there. Um, mm. So so another another half a trillion or more is all technology, uh, domestic manufacturing, you know, focused on on the home on the home fires, if you will. Um, you know, climate is, is in that. Uh, bringing broadband internet to lots of people is in that. Um, domestic manufacturing and uh, credits and things like that to manufacturing companies uh, to help them uh, is in that. There's a bunch of money going to semiconductors and the National Science Foundation and critical goods supply chains, all that kind of stuff. That's the next biggest section. And uh, then you go down from that, and that's kind of this is kind of where we fit, um, yep. which is the third the third category, which is green infrastructure, right? Um, and again, about four hundred billion to that, but two hundred billion, almost half of that is uh, uh, is being spent on electrification, right? Electronic vehicle, uh, electric vehicle um, infrastructure. Uh, and when you look at the portion that we're that, that we fit in in this industry, right, the public clean water and all that kind of stuff, of the 2.25 trillion, only about 136 billion of that, and that that's still a big number, 136 yeah. billion, is dedicated to to the whole uh, water infrastructure, clean water, carbon capture, public lands, and other stuff, uh, also mixed mixed in there. So. If you're looking at the scale, Rob, that's kind of where it all where it all fits. And if you add up what I've said, those one billion, uh, five hundred billion, and four hundred billion, there's still some money left over. So the rest of that is is all transportation. I mean, bridges, highways, roads, um, transportation, airports, water. You know, that that ports and things like that. That's public transportation. That's all in that last smallest section. So I. I hope that helped. I, I happen to be a bit of a student on uh, on the infrastructure bill, so no, that's that's, that's <laughs> no, no, that's absolutely great. You know, my, my 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 way of thinking, and you guys can chirp in in here. I I just think there should be a priority of what I mean. You need utilities. You need water. You know, you, the, the the main things. You know, is there? I know there's no precedence, or maybe there is, and we don't know about it, or I don't know about it, but. What what do they think is the most important things that we need to accomplish first? I know they're trying to do everything at once, but that's kind of hard to do. It's kind of real, at least in my it opinion, is. I think it's real hard, real hard to uh, to achieve that. Yeah, so. yeah. And anyway, I just want just some comments. Yeah, I don't know how much of the how much of this that the state of California is going to be able to take advantage of. Of course, in the state of California, is a little bit in flux now politically. Uh, right. And that, that may be an understatement, Chris uh, Austin, <laughs> to say it's in a little bit of flux. What do you What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I uh, it, it I don't know what's going to happen, and it's it's uh, it's quite worrisome. Uh, you know, no matter what side you sit on, and <laughs> we don't know where what's going to go where. Um, but you know, I'll fasten your seatbelt. Yeah, I I don't know what to say about the infrastructure bill. Um, you know, I I can't really comment. I'm not I don't I haven't really been following it that much and um you know, 
it's hard. It's hard for me to say, you know, for me to weigh in on what they do. That's what's well, the where, answer. But where, where do you where, where do you see the federal money coming that California needs? Where where do you think they should put that? Well, you know, we all we have a lot of water recycling projects and people that want to recycle more water. So I would imagine that 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 would you know that would be a it, and it's the federal government has long provided funds for those sorts of projects. So I'm sure that would continue. Um, you know, the the whole nature based solutions or green infrastructure is really becoming. Um, I think more important and something that should be supported uh, because, you know, there are ways to work with nature and with the things that are coming at us and we can, you know, that can provide benefits that are well, that are well worth it. Not all infrastructure should be hard built, uh, but we do need to look at our built environment and see how we can maximize that um, Given the the things that we're facing, you know, sea level rise is one that it you know we have we have rising seas. We know that they're coming at us, and in the Bay Area, they're really trying to work on uh, creating space for those rising waters to come uh, because they're going to come, and you just can't build a seawall forever, right? Because they're going to rise and they're going to keep on rising. And, you know, at some point it, it becomes like, you know, skyscrapers. I, I don't know. So we need to be looking at uh, all sorts of solutions uh, for that. Some of that will include, you know, hard-built infrastructure, but there's a lot of potential in the nature-based solutions um, that and. There's a lot of things, you know, a lot of benefits that they can provide. So, you know, we need funds for those two. So I imagine that that's where, you know, the funding will come from. And, you know, and water, like you pointed out, that's only one section of it. And there's roads and, you know, transportation. And, you know, one important thing that needs to happen in terms of infrastructure is, Increasing broadband access. You know, we you live in a big city here in California, and you know, we all all of us in our homes have broadband access, but that's not necessarily the case um, all over California, and especially in the smaller communities. And a lot of these new farm irrigation and you know other technologies really require internet access. Yep. <laughs> if you're if you're wiring up all your grapevines in your field to communicate back to you what's going on with them, you know, well, that's using the internet. Yep. And so increasing broadband access in, you know, smaller areas uh is it's not just a problem in California, it's a problem all over the place. You know, it wasn't it wasn't all that long ago when the Eastern Sierra did not have broadband access at, at all. And I can remember uh, it, sitting in Lone Pine, I had to go to the McDonald's to try and use their Internet to, to 
update my blogs, then it was it was really tough because the internet was horrible. Then they did a project called the Digital 395, and they ran a big broadband cable up the 395. And you know, life in in the Eastern Sierra has been much better since in terms of the internet. But you know, there's a lot of spaces in the country, and that's a benefit to all sorts of people. I mean, not just the farmers, but the students. I mean, that's the other thing. You know, students in classrooms or students at home trying to access the internet to run the classes. So, expanding broadband access, I think, is is really an, something that's important and needs to be done. Yeah. Hey, do you think uh, on the fire situation in California, do you do you see that taking a whole lot of toll on, on water availability now? Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, the reservoirs are down. They're they're very low, lower than they've ever been before, and I'm you know the fires are coming through, and what that can do to the water quality and the burning of the watershed. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's just not looking good. And, you know, even in places where the water situation is really, really bad, like in San Jose, in Santa Clara County, uh, they they are really in bad shape because they, they have very little imported water coming in. Their largest reservoir where they actually stored water nearby, they had to drain in its undergoing seismic retrofit because, you know, it was an earthquake hazard. And so they're in really bad shape, and they have been trying to get their residents to conserve, and they're just not really hitting the mark. Um, And I think it's just going to be very difficult, and especially if next year is dry. Yeah. Well, you know, all the semiconductor companies up in that area are are getting hurt pretty bad because of uh, not enough water. For the, using their processing of chip of chips, so that's going to hurt just as bad as well. Oh so yeah, your, and the chip shortage is all over too. <laughs> yeah, not, so, it's not going to end soon. No, no, and and even Taiwan. I mean, you know, we 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 were talking about drought, drought in the United States, but there's also drought in other areas of of the globe. One of those happens to be Taiwan. And you know the the major chip manufacturers that are there. So yeah, <clears throat> scary situation coming down. I'll tell you. I, I just hope uh, there's a big plan somewhere to to fix all these issues and problems, and you know, and getting getting water because that's that's going to be tough without it. I mean, it hurts the whole economy, especially California. I mean, we're talking California, but the whole country and, and basically the whole world. But um, you know, there's a lot of new technology coming out, but different different companies, and I think that's the right thing to do. Uh, I know farming is getting to be much smarter in how they do things. Even even you know, my favorite thing in farming is the vertical farming that's done inside uh, warehouses and things of that sort. You know, that that's sort of going to maybe be the future, but uh, I don't know. There's there's got to be a lot of work done on on getting the utilities and the water uh, systems all all to a good position. So don't know. So anything, yes. anything, anything else key that's happening this week? We got a few more minutes left on your segment, and I just want to see where where, where you what you've been digging into this week. Oh well, you know I've been <laughs> been trying to move into my house. 
but I thought an interesting story was that um, up north, uh, they have some coastal cities, uh, Mendocino, Fort Bragg, the northern coast of California, and these are cities that, uh, you know, no, again, no imported water coming into there, and they're just dependent on the rivers. And, you know, they had a whole thing. The city of Ukiah is located a little further inland, uh, declared that they were going to send water to their coastal cities. They're all in the same county. And they were... They were having a bit of a dispute with the state water board uh, regarding the type of right that water right that they had, but uh, the state water board came through and has approved that you know them uh, to take the water. They're going to pump out the water uh, from the river a small amount, and they're going to take it uh, by truck over to these cities to help these coastal cities out because they they're really in bad shape you know, the rivers running so low and the drought and everything. So, you know, it was it was nice to see that uh, they were able to resolve that situation and, you know, the city of Ukiah can help make things better for their fellow country residents on the coast, so county well, residents. So. Well, last time you come on, I, I, another, another thing that interests me is that uh, I was reading an article that... Uh, um, uh, combined water and wastewater bill for typical U.S. households swelled 43.2% from 2012 to 2021. And that's kind of an indicator that the water sector is growing financial burdens. So uh, maybe we can we can explore that a little more and see what uh, what everybody's doing with that field. So, Chris, we want to thank yeah. you for, for coming on and, and uh, as usual, giving us the, the latest in water news from California. Um, for our listeners, please go to uh, www.mavensnotebook.com become a sponsor become a subscriber get the best water news in California that you can and Chris also publishes and, and writes on, on things that are happening all over the country as well on water she's a great source we use her a lot Chris and I uh, Miss Daniel and I use her a lot read her stuff every single morning because when I pop my computer on it's right there so Chris thank you hope you get all settled in your new home and uh, get all unpacked and, and relax all right. Good All right. evening, everyone. Good evening, and we'll have a great you. week, Chris. Yeah. All right, so we're going to take a little break, and we'll be back with our featured guest. So stick around. We're going to have a lot of fun with the next person, and uh, she's a uh, she's a she, and uh, she's a wonderful person, and we uh, want to share that with you. So stick around for the second half of the Water Zone show. This is 1050 AM KCAA Loma Linda and 106.5 FM Yukaipa. Time to take a water break and talk some water. Irrigation. such a refreshing topic. As more and more markets face water restrictions, your customers may be hungry or, should I say, thirsty for water-saving products. For new installations, add options like drip irrigation, controllers that respond to weather data, pressure-regulating heads, or heads with check valves. 
They all provide easy ways to differentiate your bids and win more jobs. Or for an extra stream of revenue, offer existing customers upgrades like high efficiency nozzles, rotary nozzles, or Wi-Fi based controllers. Because when you help your customers save water, you make a world of difference for the earth and your bottom line at the same time. We'll drink to that. Are you presently part of the irrigation industry as a worker or business owner? Do you want to learn how you and your staff can boost your knowledge and productivity? Then you should check out Irrigator Technical Training School. Irrigator Tech is the leading source of quality instruction serving all facets of the irrigation industry. Their courses provide a basic, easy to understand approach that raises the skill level, competency and professionalism of landscape and irrigation personnel through practical education and services. Irrigator Tech combines classroom and real-life hands-on training, leading to a well-recognized certification that both customers and employers demand. Irrigator Tech specialized courses can help you quickly become a certified irrigation auditor or a certified installer, repair, maintenance, or backflow technician. Courses also include certificates in smart water application or becoming a certified tree worker. Most importantly, all certifications are state recognized and Irrigator Tech offers annual renewal classes to help keep your certification up to date. So whether you work in California, Washington, Oregon, Nevada, or Arizona, there's an Irrigator Tech class near you. For more information on how to jumpstart your career, call Irrigator Tech toll-free 866-614-1755 or visit them on the web at irrigatortech.com. That's toll free, 866-614-1755 and on the web at irrigatortech.com. K-C-A-A. All right, uh, welcome to the second half of the Water Zone Show with uh, I'm Rob Starr along with Mr. Chris Davey and we're glad everybody's joining us today. And just, just to pass on, uh, again, to some of our listeners who are in the industry and or they could be homeowners or DIY people uh, about learning about irrigation, this December 6th through the 10th in San Diego, California, you can have access to hundreds of exhibitors from across the U.S. as the 2021 Irrigation Show and Education Week. You can find unique solutions and advanced technologies in irrigation to accelerate your business and set it apart from the rest. And also, I have a lot of friends who are homeowners. They're just simple people who go and learn about irrigation, learn about the things they never hear about from from their water agencies. Uh, it, it's a pretty good show to go. Uh, I, 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 I can tell everybody, you're not going to miss out on, 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 on learning bad things. They have education. They have a library that you can purchase books. They have people there from every manufacturer in irrigation, and they can answer any of your questions. So learn more and register if you want to go at irrigationshow.org before November 1st. And uh, hopefully you'll see us there. We'll be broadcasting live, so come on down. Right now we're very happy, and that's kind of apropos that we did that. Um, we have a dear friend to the Water Zone Show, and most important, a dear friend to the irrigation industry. A lady named Deborah Hamlin and she is the CEO of the Irrigation Association. So welcome to the show, Deborah. Thank you, Rob. How are you? We're fine. How are you doing? Back on the East Coast. I'm good. Ah. I'm back on the East Coast. It's after 9.30. I've had my dinner and uh, ready to talk about water. 
Excellent, excellent. So uh, Chris Davies is here joining me, and I know you know Chris. He's worked with you uh, before on lots of projects. But we always like to start off with something simple, and, and, and this so our listeners get a, get an idea of, of you. How did you get into the irrigation industry? What made you go there? Well, uh, it's an interesting story, but I uh, 15 years ago, I uh, was in the – I'm really in the association management profession. And I was managing a, an association in Kansas City and decided I needed to get back east to be closer to my family. And I started looking in D.C. for a job. And um, the Irrigation Association actually uh, was uh, looking for the CEO at the same time. And there was um, some of your, of your listeners may know of Ewing Irrigation. It's a company that uh, is a distributor across uh, a lo- most of the nation. Uh, but especially in the Southwest. And uh, one of the president of that company was on my board with another association I was working with. So when I said I was, I was leaving I, uh, and I was going to be moving east, they said, uh, this, this guy, Doug York, uh, said, I'd like you to apply for a job uh, at the Irrigation Association. And uh, I, I made it through the process. And 15 years later, here I am. Well, the Yorks are very special people. The whole family is very nice. The brothers and the father and the mother, they're just wonderful people to the industry. and They, they bring a lot of good uh, good morals and ethics to that. Uh, Chris, uh, you want to join in and uh, pop some questions to uh, Ms. Deborah? Hey, Chris. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Deborah. Hi, Deborah. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Um, Always good to be here. Looking forward to, yeah, great. Uh, I'm I know you're looking forward to a to a change in uh, in your life coming up. We'll, we'll talk to that in just a second. But um, as Rob said earlier, we've got a fairly broad listener base. I mean, lots and lots of different people from all over the world, not just the uh, United States. So I thought, you know, kind of kicking it off after you gave us the uh, the story of how you got uh, into the irrigation industry through your irrigation in New York. Um, you know, kind of give us a if you will, as I always say, the 30,000 view look at the uh, Irrigation uh, Association, right, where you've been for 15 years, and what is, what is, what's its purpose? You know, where's, where is its voice in this industry? And kind of give us the, the, um, the homecoming look at, at uh, its membership and what it does, uh, how it represents the irrigation industry in whole. Can you do that? Sure, sure. It's my elevator speech. <laughs> so, yeah. um, well, the Irrigation Association has been around for many years, and um, we exist to promote efficient irrigation. That's our mission. And um, we do that in two ways. We have professional development programs because we want to help people do the right things with respect to designing and and maintaining irrigation systems correctly. Um, that's good for the entire industry, uh, whether that be the residential, commercial industry, or agriculture. And, um, and the second pillar, besides professional development, is advocacy. We, we help develop good water policies uh, to ensure that really water is available for irrigation and, and um, educating the policymakers that, uh, you know, a lot of people get in these positions to make big decisions, and they don't always have a water background. So we are available to 
help them understand, um, you know, the good that uh, irrigation does for society, uh, you know, for keeping our healthy spaces for our kids to play and uh, keeping food on the table. So this organization, yeah. uh, oh, I was just going to say that, that it, um, it relies on a membership base, and the members are these companies within the irrigation industry, the entire channel from the manufacturers of the product to the distributors to the contractors and designers who install the system. So um, it's everybody working together to, to this end. Well, you know what, as you know, I've been, sorry, Rob, it's, it's tough for me and Rob Depper because um, we're not in the studio anymore. We can't see each other, right? So we're <laughs> who's going to talk next. It gets kind of lost in the in translation. But let me, I just want to follow yeah. on to that question if I can, Deb, because, you know, one of the other sure. very important things that the Irrigation Association provides to the irrigation industry is the annual trade show. Um, where, which, which, you know, which is sort of like, you know, the, the meet all and greet all for, for everybody in the, um, uh, in the irrigation industry and, and probably one of the, uh, the um, defining uh, events throughout my, my 40 year career in, in the irrigation industry, of which probably 30 of them I've, uh, I've attended the, um, uh, the IA show and this one coming up in, in uh, San Diego. A little bit different after a stall for uh, uh, for one year. So, I mean, um, you know, how, how how important is the annual show to to the irrigation uh, industry, not just to the IA, but the industry, irrigation industry in general? Well, uh, Chris, I love hearing things like I've I've been to the show thirty years out of my forty year career. That's wonderful to me. That says uh, a huge amounts, and you probably could answer that question better than I, of, of how important it is for you as a professional and you as a business to, um, you know, keep the connections. Uh, our, our trade show uh, is the biggest part of our event, and, of course, it's going to be in San Diego, and uh, we're really happy to come back after missing a year and uh, really hope that COVID doesn't... Uh, uh, interfere in any way, but we are uh, poised and ready and plan to um, have an event unless state or local regulations prevent us. So the big trade show um, we have this year, we actually, going into this year, we thought it might be a little bit smaller. So we have planned for just 200 companies exhibiting, but that's still a pretty large trade show when you think that some of these companies have multiple booths. So um, it's a pretty big event, although we are we have actually capped the number of exhibitors because we uh, didn't want to have such a big show if we weren't sure if everyone was going to be back ready to travel. Having said that, right. our uh, numbers going into the show are looking very good already, and this is really early still. We don't uh, get most of our registrants until, until uh, late October. But... Um, it is the time for people to see new technologies, make business connections, and take educational classes, whether you're on the landscape side of the business or the ag side of the business. So um, on top of that, you know, we, we present information about the Irrigation Association and our programs, that, which are also helpful, but the trade show is probably our most valuable and uh, most used um, uh, service that we provide the industry. Yes, it's, it's pretty awesome. I haven't been in this industry as long as uh, Chris has. I've just 
this is my 17th year, and I've been to the last 17 years coming to the IA show every year, and it's been great. But and I, and I also participate in a lot of committees and things and activities that, uh, that that the IA has. But what are some of the key achievements that the IA has spearheaded during your leadership? Because I know there's many, and I I, I I know our listeners would like to hear that. Well, uh, that's a great question, and it's always funny because I don't like to talk about myself very much. And when I think of our successes over the last 15 years, it really is a... Uh, combination of volunteers like you, Rob, and Chris. You've both sat on committees. Um, as a volunteer organization, uh, we have way more people, hundreds of people, uh, helping us through uh, whatever needs to be done. And so um, with the help of our our, our members, with, with a small but mighty staff sitting outside of D.C. here, um, gets a tremendous amount done. So I would say, um, you know, when I first started in 2006, uh, end of 2006, so early 2007, we actually changed up the mission of the organization and moved to this promoting efficient irrigation. And that was actually, it seems like this wordsmithing, but it really opened up a dialogue with conservation groups and um, where they thought that we had been a little self-serving before, that we were just interested in, you know, making our businesses better, but we were really interested in having people do the right thing so that um, we're all saving water and we're all um, educating people about the right and wrong way to do things. Um, another big uh, piece that might be familiar to some of your listeners is we built the WaterSense program for irrigation products. And um, so that was just starting with uh, other household products and faucets. Oops, I don't know if that's me or not with feedback, but... Um, and they also endorse our professionals, so our certified professionals are also encapsulated in this WaterSense program. So it's just pretty uh, amazing that the, um, the United States uh, Environmental Protection Agency promotes the people that carry our certifications as the best people to do the job. So that was great. A couple others, we developed online classes early on. Again, we're all about education and we really were online before our time, right? Everyone has to be today turned on a dime, but we've been doing a lot of this for a long time. And then, um, uh, you know, there's standards and codes, uh, which we weren't in before, and now we're, we're trying to stay on top of. Um, you know, and lastly, we're, most recently, we've been managing a few of our state associations because we do realize that uh, especially on the landscape side, uh, so much is done on the state level, and landscape and irrigation contractors tend to join at the state level a little bit more than they do on the national level because their businesses are local. And so we have committed to making those organizations more successful as well because we think it's just better for the industry for everyone to be educated. How's that? Yeah. No, no, I, I, I actually agree. Um, you know, today there's lots of different standards you mentioned, the things that uh, the IA has helped develop. Uh, but you you have like the EPA, NAHB, government agencies, many others. Do you think there should be a, a merging of these standards? I, I sit on the NAHB uh, water efficiency uh, group, and and yet there there's the ResNet, and there I can go down the list of, of, of different different uh, classifications and, and and different standards. Do you think there's a time it's coming that they should all be merged into one 
so it's not conflicting. I mean, these people go out and do the inspections, and they, you know, they got they got to be proficient in you know five or six different standards when it all applies kind of to, to water. <laughs> they're all similar, but they're not exactly the same, and and they have different levels of these. What what do you, what do you think about that? Because I know you've been really, I, yeah, you've been heavily <laughs> standards. I mean. I'm on so many different committees for different standards. It's like, guys, why are we doing this one when they have this one over here? It just kind of gets confusing to everybody. That you, yes, uh, you have identified an enormous problem. Um, it's awesome that you are following these things around because it is a crazy, costly task of the time and energy that needs to be done with these standards. So I am a proponent of standards in general. But I do think that standards development organizations have um, really become uh, a little bit more profit-generating organizations, and so everybody wants to do their own thing, and it is becoming, uh, not becoming, it is a real challenge for organizations like ours who, you know, aren't a huge budget, don't have a tremendous number of staff people to follow around the numerous uh, organizations that are doing standards. And and when you think about it, think about the genesis of standards, like way back when some brilliant person said, let's make all the outlets in a house the same way. And every house is going to have the same outlet. So every electrical product is going to have the same plug. And that's what standards are for, so that there's one way to do things. Can you imagine if the house down the street didn't have the same plugs you have? Um, you know, companies over time have tried over and over to differentiate themselves that I'm going to have this different standard, if we're talking about plugs, like Apple versus Samsung or, you know, Android. Um, but in the end, having the same, uh, same uniform way to do some of these things simplifies it. And um, you would make my dream come true. Uh, Rob, if you were able to um, spearhead a national standards organization for this kind of stuff, because uh, it's a bit crazy. <laughs> no, I, 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 I mean, I, I'll just finish this part and let Chris jump in. You know, I, I'm one of the committees they were talking about smart irrigation controllers and that you get points uh, if you build your house towards this and get lead stuff. And they said, if you have a smart irrigation controller, you get X amount of points. If you have one that's Certified uh, by the you know the EPA, you get ten points. So I'm so I asked the question. I said, why would you give somebody points if they say it's an e, if, if it's EPA it's not EPA certified because the company doesn't want to spend the money to go get it tested and do that? But yet you're going to give that anybody can say their product is a smart controller, but if they don't go through and get it tested, then why are you giving them points for that? And we get in arguments with that. I mean, I get in arguments all the time at committee meetings with those things. It just doesn't make sense to me. So I, I agree with yeah. you. I think there should be one one national, like you said, with electrical plugs. You're right. It should be a standard thing that everybody can build to. And and the one, there was one a couple of years ago, and, and I'll, I'll stop talking after this, that one water agency person said they want every irrigation controller company to build the same irrigation controller that, that looks the same, that is the same, it's different. <laughs> And I go, I don't think companies are going to share their technology to have one controller that everybody else is going to get to build, <laughs> unless they're going to pay somebody else for it. 
Right. So there's standards and then there's like having a choice uh, when you need one. Can you imagine if we all had the same car, the yeah. same color, the same, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah, that's a little. So, so you know, you, you do have um, some um, differentiating opinions about what the right things to do are, <laughs> whether it's standards or irrigation. Sometimes there's some, some radical thoughts. <laughs> no. So, Chris, sorry, I didn't mean to take up your time, but go, go ahead, I'll let you uh, have, have at it. <laughs> no, I say, yeah, it's fine, Rob. I mean, you threw a lot of stuff on the table there, and you know uh, as well as I do, Rob, that this is a topic of conversation that you, you and I have spent many, many hours um, yep. uh, discussing. So, so Deborah, so, you know, I mean, uh, you know, Rob and I have, have day jobs, and, and, um, and you know who our, who our employer is, uh, and, and it's yeah, it's it's becoming really uh, a tough for uh, us as a manufacturer sometimes to kind of get our arms around all all that's going on, right? And both Rob and I are proponents of, of quote unquote standards as, as well. We think it's important to the industry. I mean, not just product standards, but also standards for contractors and and licensing and things like that. So just just let me put that out there as a as a, a broader statement. Um, but we've had we've had so many discussions, Deborah, around you know who's the authority here, you know who's the who's the top dog, who's at the top of the pile, kind of kind of you know uh, directing uh, all this uh, all these different types of of uh, laws and components, and you can do this and all this stuff. And so we think about it from a job from our day job perspective as water conservation being the the goal. Right, the priority, the the purpose, um, sure. but the standardization issue of how to get that all under control seems quite confusing to to us. And and we're in this industry, right? So we we often sit back and think, Rob and I, and say how how difficult this must be for you know for other people outside the industry. I mean, uh, I mean, are are you know are we off the mark with that kind of view? Oh gosh, no! I I think you're right on. It, it is a big challenge, and um, I mean, when you think about it, the the organizations that are stepping in to um, to to you know, it's one thing to to have a standard, a building standard, on the inside of the building, and there are professionals that know that, and then then they say, oh gee, you know, well we've gotten all the standards we've done inside, so we're going to go outside, and they have no experience in irrigation, so. When the bigger organizations, standards organizations, started working in irrigation, we said, hey, um, you know, you need to talk to us. You need to talk to the Irrigation Association, which our vision is to be the authority, right, on, on irrigation. And um, it's hard when you, you have a lot of um, other organizations that are trying to get sort of a piece of that um, of that area. And, uh, you know, the IAPMO is... I have known ICC it started out with um, fire sprinklers, right? So that was their expertise. And then we have the plumbing group. Right. So, you know, there's some plumbing and, and irrigation um, related together. And there are some states where they are closer than not. But irrigation is not really taught in a traditional plumbing training. And so it's just, um, it is, it's especially hard when organizations come come out and um, want to get involved in something that they really don't have a lot of experience in. So we do try and get, um, We for some time we had um, a technical advisor on staff 
who tried to be at all those meetings, and then we just couldn't do that. So we would we'd recruit people like Rob and um, and others from different companies to sit on these different committees, and we're really trying to um, maintain that presence everywhere. Um, but it, it is it it takes a lot of resources, and in some cases, takes away from the positives that standards can really bring. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's it a does little indeed. bit of an impediment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've got we've just just a couple of minutes left, Deb, and I and I do want to to give you a chance to to tell us about uh, you know what what's happening in your future. Well, as you mentioned, my big issue is that I am retiring at the end of the year. So uh, I gave my notice to the president, our volunteer president, on our board in uh, July. I gave six months notice because it takes a while to replace a a volunteer. Um, I mean, the CEO of a volunteer organization, because a board, a subset of the board has to um, go through a search process. So, um, yeah, I am I am going to just relax for a little while, uh, probably for the next six months, and then hope I, I don't get bored, you know? I've never done this retirement thing before. <laughs> so, I'm excited about it, though. The industry and, 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 and our company and Chris and I are really going to miss you a lot. You are a great person to, to talk to, to bounce stuff off and get your inputs. I really sincerely appreciate all the time as I, I had to spend some time with you and discussing different topics. And, and uh, you've just been wonderful and you're, you've been a great leader for the Irrigation Association. So the, the person that they pick better be as good as you. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. And I do want, I want someone to be better than me, right? I, uh, this organization has been great to me. I have a passion for irrigation that I didn't even know I had, you know, before, before I started this job. And so I want the best for the organization. That's awesome. Well, we're about, we're coming up against the news hour here for actually NBC news hour, not ours, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we have to turn it over to them. Uh, we do appreciate it. So, Deborah, we're going to Chris and I will definitely see you at the show. We are going to be broadcasting live and get a lot of some of the special members that uh, you can point us to, and, and hopefully we'll uh, not hopefully we will see you there. So thank you again so much for all the things that you've done for their association, for our industry, and, and thanks for coming on the Water Zone Show. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks, Deborah. Always Good. a pleasure. Thanks. All right. Thanks. Good night. Have a good night. And to all our listeners, Chris and I always want to tell you is please help keep your planet blue. We got to got to sit so we can do this and think. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM.